You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. President Biden is in Israel today. Uh, Due to the uh, bombing of a hospital in Gaza, the trips were uh, that were going to also include meeting with Jordan and um, the head of the PLO, uh, Palestine Liberation Organization. uh, Those were canceled because of the mourning period. Now, late yesterday, um, a bomb was dropped mistakenly on a Gazan hospital. Uh, We now know through audio that's been released by the Israeli Defense Forces and articles that have been written by Al Jazeera. A Arab news source says that uh, one of the terrorist organizations, um, it is Islamic uh, something, Islamic Defense or something like that, uh, sent this rocket it failed. The rocket failed from where it shot was shot and then fell down on this hospital. So it was not intentional on the part of the Arabs. It was not inten- It was not done by the Israelis. Uh, they are blaming the Israelis. And unfortunately, when it comes to people that support, um, I don't want to even say the Palestinians, because this is not about the pa- Palestinians. This is about Arab terrorists through Hamas, Hezbollah, and other organizations that want to kill all the Jews. If you lose sight of that, you are going to be dragged down a rabbit hole that we don't want. Now, I will say that this very strong showing with Netanyahu and Biden, I got to admit that President Biden is doing pretty well so far. No gaffes, looking strong, doesn't look tired, All of that. And it's very important that this go well. There are 200 American forces that are ready to go if necessary to go in there. And I don't I hope we don't end up with boots on the ground, but it may be that's what it takes to get our American hostages out. Okay, and that should be job one. Someone was talking last night on one of the channels about how previously Egypt had had flooded all these Hamas tunnels to get people out of there, and that had worked pretty well. But I, they were saying, oh, that's what we should do. Uh, no. And the general, the former head of uh, NATO, said Breedlove from Atlanta, General Breedlove, he's from Atlanta, he said uh, that's probably where they're keeping the hostages are in these tunnels. Okay, so you don't want to flood the tunnels because you could end up killing the hostages. So until you know and have intelligence as to where these hostages are, you can't flood the tunnels, even though that's where they're hiding and they're regrouping. Here's President Biden in that same meeting making a comment. The United States stands with you in defense of that freedom, in pursuit of that justice, and in support of that peace today tomorrow and always we promise you it is it is the martha Zoller show you can join us on the phones at 770-535-2911 uh president biden uh, you know did he need to go to israel i don't think so 
This has delayed Israel being able to do what they need to do because they had to divert a number of security forces to around this place where Benjamin Netanyahu and President Biden are meeting because they can't take any chance at all of anybody getting a shot at President Biden uh, because, you know, that would create a lot of problems. We don't want Kamala Harris as president. We want the president to be safe at this point in time. And we want to pray that President Biden does the right thing. I am as big of a partisan as anybody else. I think Republicans would handle this better. I think Republicans would do better, you know, when they're not out of their mind like they are right now uh, as it relates to the speaker's race. But we've, you know, we've got to, when we're in the middle of something like this, we need to be united. You can join us on the phones at 770-535-2911. So yesterday, uh, Jim Jordan got 200 votes. Hakeem Jeffries got 212 votes. So that's 200 and 212 is 412, which leaves you uh, 23 that could vote somewhere else. It looks about 20. I think there were three people that didn't vote. 20 people voted for everybody from... You know, the, uh, they didn't vote for Mickey Mouse, but it was like a vote one for this person, one for that person, one for another person. Three for somebody that wasn't in Congress, Lee Zeldin. That was some New York folks. Uh, folks, you're being ridiculous. Okay? Either you want to have Hakeem Jeffries as your speaker, which is what's going to happen if we don't come to some kind of agreement, or... You're going to get your acting gear for the 20 people that didn't vote for Jim Jordan. I'm not the biggest fan of Jim Jordan myself. Okay. I think he, here's what I think about Jim Jordan. And I think you're going to think this is a fair representation. Jim Jordan is a, a bulldog conservative. He has run investigations and committees very smartly and toughly. Okay. Toughly is not a word, but I'm going to make it up. Tough and smart. Okay, he has done a terrific job for any task he has been given. He did take President Trump's side on certifying electors. He did take the side of the nine of the January 6th people uh, that were arrested, the rioters, to be sure they were taken care of fairly. So he is being painted by moderates and people on the other side as being an insurrectionist, a traitor, and all the other words they use that they don't care what words mean anymore. I don't think that's a fair representation of Jim Jordan. I think Jim Jordan is a tough guy from Ohio who understands what the law is and who tries to follow the rules. And I think as Speaker... And what you've seen, if you watch the way he's spoken since he got into the speaker's race, he has shown that he understands, and people from the Freedom Caucus have said, they understand that Jim Jordan is going to have to negotiate with moderates and Democrats to be able to get things done, regardless of if it's him or not. He's got a five-vote majority. Okay? And let me tell you something. Um, Hakeem Jeffries... God forbid, if he were to become speaker, would have to do the same thing because he doesn't have the votes either. So this idea that we're going to put our values forward and we're not going to compromise is not a winning idea. Okay, 
Now, if you want to put Jim Jordan in there, which I think that at this point, the 20 people that voted against him need to vote for him, blankety blank, and just get this done with so we can get on to the negotiation on the budget, number one. But what may ha- But what we have to understand is there will be negotiation with moderates and Democrats to be able to get things done. And if your idea is we're going to put Jim Jordan in and then we won't have to negotiate anymore, that's not a reasonable idea. I believe that we need to get to the point that we need a speaker right now. And when you're voting for somebody like McCarthy got some votes and Massey got some votes and um, Emmer got some votes, one vote, and you're voting for somebody who has already voted for somebody else, I just don't think that's the best thing in the world. All right, quit acting like a child and get in there and make it work. Quit acting like a child and get in there and make it work. Because we are here because of a whole bunch of people that acted like children. Okay, and I can draw a line. People are going to say that I'm crazy here, but that's okay. You know who would be in this race right now if they didn't run for Senate? Doug Collins. Doug Collins would very likely be the compromise candidate that might be able to win the speakership. Doug's political career had always been that he ran for seats that were uncontested. That's what he did when he was a state rep. That's what he did when he ran for Congress. He had a primary, but but it was an open seat, okay? He had never run a race where he had to be the challenger before, And that's what he did when he stepped out of the house and ran against Kelly Leffler. And we can talk about whether it was a good idea or not, whatever. I know that a lot of you supported Doug Collins for that. I just really understood more about the way politics works, that the governor was the person that appointed Kelly Leffler. And if I had been Doug Collins, I would have gone and camped out in the governor's office until I got a meeting and made my case about why I would be the best choice. That's what I would have done. That's what I advised Doug to do. But he would be in this speaker's race right now. And he would be the compromise candidate. And I know I haven't talked to him about it. I've asked him to come on the show a number of times. He wants to come on. He's doing a podcast. You can hear all kinds of things. I don't know if anybody's talked to him about this. But I would love to know what he thinks about this right now. Because he would be in the running for Speaker of the House. And how great would that be? It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. I'm here with Tom Smiley this morning. Hey, Tom, well, usually we're not in the same room together. Know, and congratulations on your good progress. Thank you. Day, Let's talk a little bit about Israel because, you know, I like to point out in the history um, that, you know, you had just about peace in 1999 and the Second Intifada started. Then three weeks ago, the uh, Crown Prince of Saudi said they were close to an agreement with Israel, and now this happened. So give us a little background about how we got to where we are today. Yeah, and you know, Martha, what surprises me, even the even these elite academia people, they don't understand the history. They don't know the history. You really only have to go back, really, to 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Oh, only then. Yeah, only then. <laughs> just, just go back to 70 A.D. And when they destroyed the temple, they killed many of the Jews who were there and exiled others. And it was the Romans 
who renamed that land is in question today. It's the Romans who named that Palestine. That the Romans named it that as a dig to Israel, to the Jews there. But if you want to go back a little further, you just go back to, you know, earlier times than that, Old Testament times, when that area, that entire area that's in question, was ruled by many kingdoms, many po- You had the Assyrians, you had the Babylonians, you had the Persians, you had the Greeks, you had the Arabs, you had the Turks, you had the Crusaders, you had the Egyptians. All these nations have had a hand in that territory. So this is not Arab land. It's not. And, and to say that it is is not being intellectually honest. But if you just fast forward to, you know, 1517 to 1917, that Ottoman Empire that ruled that Mediterranean area, when World War I ended, the Ottomans defeated, they gave control, the Allies gave control of this area to Britain. And people don't realize that. British had control of the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, the, the land we call Israel. British controlled that area. They got sick and tired of the fighting in the end fighting in the conflict. And so they offered a plan, Martha, and this is what these these elite Harvard, Princeton academic, they won't tell you the truth about this, but they offered a plan in 1923. The League of Nations issued the British Mandate, 1923. And this British Mandate said, okay, look, let's establish a place for the Palestinians and a place for the Jews. We'll give the Jews Israel proper, which we have today, and we'll give the Palestinians Gaza Strip, West Bank, and they can share Jerusalem. That's 1923, the League of Nations. Israel said yes. The Palestinians said no. And the conflict continued, and it started. Well, move forward just a few more years from that, in 1948, when the British said, look, we've had enough. We're leaving. They pulled out, the British did. And Israel said, we're for that mandate. We're, we're, we're doing the mandate plan, the partition plan. We're saying yes to a Jewish nation. The Palestinians immediately, and, and the UN said it, and immediately the Palestinians started fighting the Israelis, immediately to keep them from establishing their homeland. Well, real quick, when you then fast forward just a tad more than that, a year later, 1948, the, the, the Jordan, Syria, Syria, Egypt, they fought against Israel to keep them from becoming a nation. That's that, that first war. Israel won. They won. Who could believe it? And then, a few years later, you have the Six Days War. With, which they won. Which they won again. Every t- <laughs> people don't realize this. This is why I say it's not going to work out good for the people of Gaza. Because every time the Israelis fought a war, they've won. Every time. But what's interesting is that when Yasser Arafat, that's a name from the past, isn't it? Who, by the way, in my research I discovered, I had forgotten about this, there's a lot of suspicion that Yasser Arafat was actually poisoned by Arab militants because he was about to say yes to a Palestine state and the existence of Israel. Because he had gotten $6 billion back in those dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, that'd be a lot more now. Right. He had it in a Swiss bank account. Mm-hmm. His wife ended up inheriting it. But he had gotten plenty of money from us, and he was ready to deal. He was ready to deal, and that was that was all around you know that '67 period, that Six Days War. Well, in 1993, the Oslo, uh, Oslo Accords gave direct control of the Gaza Strip to the Palestinian Authority, and people don't realize this. And I said it at the time, Martha, just because of my biblical background. I said it at the time, 
Israel should not be giving away land. But they did. They gave control of the Gaza Strip to the Palestinian Authority. And the thing that's important is prior to that, Palestinian children were going to school. Palestinians were working. There were Arabs in the Knesset. I mean, Israel was trying to be fair. Yes, they fight back hard when you attack them. Right. But they were trying to be fair to the Palestinians. They were, and they were. They had work visas to cross the cross over into Israel to work. I was in Israel nineteen eight uh, uh, nineteen twenty. On, let's see, a few years ago. 2021. Uh, 2021, yeah. You said 1921. I, said I don't think you were there <laughs> No, then. I wasn't there then. But I was over there, and we went by the Gaza Strip area, and there was there was border control, border checks, but people were coming and going and going in and out. Some of the people in our hotels were Palestinian Arabs in Israel working in hotels. So w- what happened is the PLO, Yasser Arafat, began to talk about allowing Israel to exist. That was his downfall. And in 2006, the people of Gaza, Martha, they voted in Hamas over the more moderate, presently ruling party. Now, that party said it was a coup, but we we won't talk about that. We'll just say that Hamas won. Martha, 42% of the Palestinian Arabs in Gaza today still support Hamas. These aren't innocent civilians who don't know what's going on. They put Hamas in control in 2006. And so they have in their charter a hard stance. Israel must be annihilated. Well, how are you, how are you going to live next door to somebody who wants to kill you? So uh, I have an uncle. He passed away last year. He was 98. That was from India. And he was an Armenian that had fled the genocide of Armenia. Right. His family had. Right. They had grown up in India. Mm-hmm. They worked for, uh, they were the tailors to the governor of, of, of India. So when India fell in 1947, they went to England. My uncle came to UCLA. Okay. So he was very informed by seeing the masses rise up. Okay. And, um, but he was very knowledgeable, brilliant guy. And every year at Thanksgiving, my brother, who was a little more libertarian, I'm more of a Republican, and my uncle was a Democrat, we would debate these issues. And we always got around to the Middle East. And we would say at the end of it, to, to end the discussion, but Uncle Greg, the Brits drew the line, so that's their fault. <laughs> because what happened was, they, if you, if you have ever read about a woman by the name of Gertrude Bell, mm-hmm. Gertrude Bell was one, the first woman to graduate, I think, from Cambridge, but she also traveled the Middle East, and she worked with a lot of the sheikhs. They would, the fact that they worked with a woman was unbelievable, but she was British, and she worked with the British consulate, and she helped pick out some of these initial lines for things like Saudi Arabia, Transjordan, mm-hmm, these kinds of mm-hmm, countries. Mm-hmm. But they were doing it the way Western people draw lines, mountain ranges, rivers, you know, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. instead of the way tribes are. Right, and that's the right. thing they left out. Yeah, that's and exactly what right. sort of set it up for failure from the beginning. Yeah. So it's it's so interesting because you're absolutely right. Every time they get close to peace and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia said, we're this close. Right. Three weeks ago. That, that was the key. And it's, it's you know, he needs to be, be sure somebody doesn't try to kill him. Oh, no, he, yeah, he's on short time. <laughs> I, I will tell you, I will tell you, go to my year back in the 70s or whenever it yes. was. She said this about, about the conflict. She said, and this is her quote, Martha, go to my year said, there will never be peace here until the Arab mothers start loving their children more than they hate ours. That's the key. And so when I see these news reporters on the news interviewing these 
pro-Palestinian people. And this one lady was just, I mean, she was almost spit in the face by this guy yelling at her. I said, look, it's simple interview. Ask one question. Sir, do you believe Israel has the right to exist? They're going to say no. Well, that's the end of the discussion. How can Israel then support a two-state rule when the people they're going to give control to want to annihilate them. You know, I like to read a lot of old texts, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and there was this um, kind of a Chamber of Commerce kind of uh, thing that was written in the 1880s. And it talked about how, you know, they have this prayer on Friday night where they talk about next year in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. next year in That's Jewish right. people That's do. Right. Mm-hmm. And starting about the 1880s, a lot of them did start, if they could, moving back if they because they were being pushed out of here there and everywhere you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um and what happened was they would go to what is now called israel they'd buy some land from some nomads whatever that had it people that owned the land and then they'd make something of it exactly right and the arabs got mad about that they thought they were being cheated Mm -hmm. but what happened was they were just being industrious they were just working they did something with something nobody else could do something with when we were when we were in bethlehem uh, I, I, I don't mean to be pejorative about this, but when we were in Bethlehem, which is Muslim-controlled, it was awful. I mean, it, it was dirty. It wasn't clean at all. The people weren't friendly. It was all... Un- matter of fact, our Jewish bus driver had to get off the bus at the, at the entrance of Bethlehem so a Muslim driver could get on and drive us into Bethlehem. I mean, wow. it, 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 so, you know, it's just amazing that people don't know the history of what's going on. But I, I I'll tell you this, Martha, I'll tell you that Gold in My Ear also said something very, very insightful. When they had one of these conflicts, she said, we have a secret weapon. Israel, Gold in My Ear said this. Gold in My Ear said, we have a secret weapon. And our secret weapon is Israel has nowhere to go except to the sea. That's why they're going to finish this fight, Martha. They have nowhere to go. They can't lose this fight. She said the Egyptians, the Arabs, they can go to Egypt. They can go to Jordan. They can go to Syria. Some can go to Turkey. We have nowhere to go, and that's our secret weapon. Why do you think that the Jews, in some factions, are so hated? Because clearly, you're hearing people get interviewed today in America. What, What shames me is that there are people in my country, and I support their right to protest, I don't support. They, if they want to say free Palestine, fine. But if they're going to say gas the Jews, kill the Jews, I, that's not peaceful protest in my mind. Well, it's not. And he, I, I, just one quick aside, I think they ought to do some facial recognition. And anyone in those protests who are here on a visa need to be sent back immediately. Now, American citizens have the right to do whatever they want to do. Right. But if, you are on, if you're here on a visa and you're out there supporting terror, the Homeland Security folks should send them back. Yes. I mean, they send them back. And, and I think it, that's why they cover their faces. They don't want to be seen because they know they would be found out. But you know what's interesting? I think you hit it, you hit it on the head earlier. You know, when you talked about how uh, the Jews were seen as, you know, the Jesus killers, you know, and I remember that terminology now that you bring it up. But you go all the way back to Martin Luther, you know, Martin Luther, the reformer. He wrote a pamphlet entitled in in 1545 he wrote a pamphlet entitled the jews and their lies and he claimed uh, a lot of the problems that existed that day were because of the jews and their desire to kill christians now you know martin luther was a great reformer but that doesn't make him right 
And and there have been some great reformers over the past in the Middle Ages who've said things that now they probably wish they hadn't said. But I tell you, Martha, this is where you know my biblical worldview kind of begins to take over in my political analysis because I have to say I really believe part of the hatred for the Jews is demonic. I, I, I really believe that my biblical worldview holds that there is a power of evil, and I believe that evil power, Satan and his demons, I believe they are invading the hearts and minds of people, and I think it's a, dem- a, a demonic aspect to this hatred of the Jews. You know, I was talking to a friend at breakfast. I I don't ever think I never think of the Jews. I mean, like I never wake up in the morning thinking I hate those Jews. What are the Jews doing today? Yeah, what are the Jews yeah. doing today? I mean, <laughs> I don't even think about it. But gosh, there the are level, people that do the level of hatred. And yep. what about our? Institutions like Harvard and Princeton and these and these institutions, these students, don't look at the students. Look deeper at the professors. They're the ones that's poisoning the minds of these students. And you know what? I, I hate to make these analogies to leading up to World War II and where we are. But you remember the universities were very liberal leading up to World War II. There were a lot of fascists and mm-hmm. communists and pro, you know, pro overthrowing the government in universities at that time, too. Sure. OK. Right. And yeah. people were, you know, thankfully, we didn't poison everybody that way. But you hear we don't teach kids how to critically think anymore. Exactly. Right. Parents are so tired they're working and they're doing they don't have enough time and you know we need a big reset i don't want it to be world war Mm three but we need a big reset about the family and about how things are going now my parents were uh my parents were my mom was a buyer and was in retail my dad was a wholesale guy so we had lots of jews in our life growing up and usually they were my parents bosses okay Mm -hmm. and I, but I learned things like about bar mitzvahs, and we got invited to things, and they were very good, um, you know, supervisors, bosses, whatever. And um, so I feel blessed in a way that I got that kind of exposure because there's a, with only 14 million people in the world, you could go your whole life and never even meet a Jewish person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, that's, that's exactly right. And, and when you look at the history of Jews being hated, as you mentioned earlier, even during like the Russian revolts and all of history, the Jews were some of the poorest people in Russia, but they were blamed for the for the the poor conditions of the country. The Jews they've always been the scapegoat. It's like oh something's wrong, blame the Jews. So funny, funny. A few years ago, when I was working for Senator Purdue, I got invited to the Indian uh, consulate in Sandy Springs because they have a um, a um, a Hanukkah celebration because they pride themselves on the fact that there were about 2,000 Jews that immigrated to one of their port cities because they were pushed out of somewhere else. And they are the only country that can say they've never killed the Jews. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about no, that's that. Right. But it was great. It was this Hanukkah celebration. Mayor Massell was there. All kinds of big-name Jewish people from Atlanta were there. The food was Indian, so it was fantastic. But it was showed that you can put each other first. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what you do. You be kind to people. You know, treat people as you would like to be treated. Palestine would have a homeland today if they would just allow Israel to exist. And I'm sorry. They came in on drones. They killed people at a music festival. They went door to door and killed other people. They, they, they... You cannot not retaliate to something like that. And I made the point earlier. We have not even tried Khalid Sheikh Mohammed yet, 
who orchestrated the 9-11 attack. We have right. not given justice to those 9-11 families, even though we fought for a long time. And we look weak because of it. Yeah. And people don't trust us the way they used to. And that's why we need to not have a narcissist in the White House. And we need to make sure we move forward. You know, I, I agree. And I will just tell you, Charles Kreithammer, you remember him? Yes. He's dead now. But he said Israel is the only nation on earth that inhabits the same land, bears the same name, speaks the same language, and worships the same God that it did 3,000 years ago. Israel. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Michael Levine is joining me right now. He's a public relations expert. He's written the book Broken Windows, Broken Business, How the Smallest Remedies Reap the Biggest Rewards. He's also the author of the book of Guerrilla PR, which is probably one of the best-selling PR books in history. So welcome back to the program, Michael. Thank you, Martha, and thank you for sharing your valuable audience with me at this most, uh, this is an inflection moment, isn't it? One of the uh, few that we'll live through in a life, but uh, this is one of those. And we have this horrible thing that happened on October 7th, where we all woke up on that Saturday morning, and we saw the news, and this, this attack of, unprovoked attack of Israel uh, and the the killing of women and children and civilians, primarily over this period of time, and hostages taken, and we we all saw it. And we're now to. Yeah, I, I think I, th- I think Martha, your words are even even your descriptive words are too soft. It was you said there was an attack on Saturday morning. Well, there was a vicious, violent, grotesque attack that will rank in human history, in all of human history, as one of the most vile, uh, grotesque uh, attacks and, and unprovoked attacks ever in the history of the world. Now think how old, let's have the audience think for a minute of how old the world is. Going back to dinosaurs, uh, I, I, I am... You know, there have been a handful of uh, violent expressions. The human being, um, not even really what you can call them. And this will rank in them. This is not merely yet another attack. We have to get out of that mindset. I think we'd be well served to say that in the history of humanity, this will rank as one of the most grotesque, vile uh, expressions of human behavior ever known to man. And for those who can't recognize that, who who use softer language and talk about uh, retribution or an attack, I think it's very revealing. So that's well, and, and personally in, how I feel. And, and I believe it's it's two, two, many things, but two things. It's worse than the Holocaust because at least the Nazis tried to hide things for a while. Yes, these folks, exactly. These folks. You never thought you'd say that. If you, a month ago, if you had said to me, I'm going to go on radio and say that something's worse than the Holocaust, I would have said, Martha, you're crazy. you've lost your mind. Yes. You've lost your mind. But they. And yet you're. You're on, you're, you're on totally viable territory. They used facial recognition to murder people and video yep. and then upload those videos to those people's 
personal accounts and link them right. so their families would see what happened to them. I mean, right. it is right. is the it, vile. You're right. Is there is not language? Yeah. We don't have language to There's use. There's not language. Now let's make clear on something you just said. The attack, the 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 barbarity of that attack on Saturday was made possible indisputably by a greater power. And so the power that we all know to be at fault is Iran. And so one can think this was a vile, grotesque attack by a bunch of aggrieved fanatics. It was. But it was assisted it would have been impossible and inconceivable to have had any a tenth of the effectiveness if it weren't for the nation of Iran. Now, if we deny that, we will deny it at our own peril. Uh, and that will be a, a... History will regard that as one of the most foolish mistakes made in the history of humanity. So... Yeah, and and it hap- there's a pattern here, you know, where um, back in uh, the in '99 when they were close mm-hmm. to getting a two-state solution, the second intifada yep. started. Then you had yeah, they have no interest in a two-state solution. No, they have no, they don't. They want in it, complete and total. And by the way, they're no longer just interested in the annihilation of Israelis, Jews, and the state of Israel. They they have now upped their game. They want it to be in the most grotesque way possible. In other words, historically there had been a belief that Hamas was interested in killing Israelis because of a political end. They have no interest in that whatever. They have interest in torture, rape, beheading. This is how they roll. And if we choose to ignore that, discount it, um, minimalize Nikki it, Haley, minimalize yeah, it, minimalize it, justify yes. it, uh, Governor Haley has made a very astute point. If we choose to make that mistake, uh, this stuff will be on our shores sooner than later. And I think she's right. I I would like to mention one other thing, Martha, if I may, to your audience. This episode, which is so horrible and has overwhelmed so many with grief, also is providing for us, if we're able to do it, and it's very hard to do right now, a massive revelation, a reveal. How MSNBC, how the students of the Harvard University have behaved. 31 student unions at Harvard have decided to issue a proclamation defending Hamas and criticizing Israel. Now think about that. Let's just pause and allow your audience to think about that as they're driving, as they're doing other things. In 
the most elite university in the country. There are student organizations, 31 of them, not three, not two, 31 of them decided this would be the moment to issue a um, commendation for Hamas and a criticism of Israel. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, MSNBC, a national syndicated television show, national television show, has had some of the most vile people on the air. Now, they've recently put three of them, the three worst, on leave. Now, why they didn't fire them is fascinating. If they, those men and women had said exactly the same thing about African Americans, not one word different, would they put them on leave or fired them? Would have fired well, of course them. They, they wouldn't have made it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. In a minute. In one minute. So what we're witnessing here beyond this tragedy and this ongoing war is a real revelation for people. And I would encourage people to not to uh, um, in any way uh, censor or cancel, as some of the people, our friends on the left, seem to relish with, uh, by uh, virtue of microaggressions, but to vote with your wallet. If you are offended to your core by a university student body, many in the student body, praising murderers, and you may not be Jewish at all, it's just, you're, you're offended, then there are ways to respond. Number one, under no circumstances, send your child, I don't care what its academic credential. A moral credential is more important than an academic credential by a big factor. If you send your student to that type of university where that type of thinking flourishes, what do you think is going to happen to your child? And you're going to pay a fortune of money to have your child indoctrinated. Number two, if you find yourself just out of reflex or routine, turning on MSNBC after this, well, there's an old admonition. Silence is agreement. So if you do that, now, I'm not suggesting that MSNBC be taken off the air. I don't think they should. I think there's place for alternative views. But I do think that supporting people with your time, money, effort is a moral consideration that this nation needs to make and hasn't been making for far too long. We've been well, letting things go. And you and these are the same people at Harvard, at yep. other universities that yep. won't let conservative people speak at their campus because mm -hmm. the mere sound of the words correct. offend them. Yep. But, correct. but that's correct. when women and children get murdered, they think that's okay. And it yeah. just, now, it just doesn't work. You're, you're totally right. You know, what I've heard by many, many, many good people throughout the last couple of years is, a response to outrageous behavior is, oh, that's silly. Oh, that's silly. Well, friends, I believe you've selected the wrong description. It's not silly. 
it's deeply dangerous. What the student body, what 31 of the student body of Harvard did was not silly. It's horrible. It's offensive. It's grotesque. It's immoral. And until we label it as that and label our actions as that, uh, I think we're going to get more of it in this nation. Um, if I were the president of Harvard and that had happened on my watch, those students, one, would be suspended. Two, all funding for their organization would be immediately uh, cut. And it's not a matter of a difference of opinion. People are allowed to have a difference of opinion, but they're not allowed to justify beheadings. Beheadings of babies are where we wish should, as a civilization, Long before draw that, the line. we should be drawing the line. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.